that plot destruction Sorcerer of death construction In the fields of bodies burning As the war machine keeps turning Death and hatred to mankind Poisoning Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are, the Anarchist World this week, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. Coming from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne, this program is a podcast. It's a podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And most importantly of all, this program is being heard across Australia, courtesy of the Community Radio Satellite. As we draw, the year draws to an end, conversation ceases. And everybody thinks about what they're going to do on the 25th of December. How are they going to cope with that family they haven't seen for so long? But that's your problem, not mine. It's the Anarchist World this week. The definition of anarchy or anarchism. Anarchos without rulers. So what do anarchists want? They want to create a society without rulers. What gives rulers... The ability to determine the lives of hundreds of millions, if not billions of people around the globe, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 12 months of the year, 365 days this year and 366 days next year. It's inequalities in power and wealth. So what's anarchist, anarchist, the anarchist struggle is the struggle to devolve power, that's share power, and the struggle to hold wealth in common and use that wealth for the common good. Simple concepts. Nothing radical about it. It's about ensuring that we look after the needs of the many, not just the few, that own the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And when a population of over 7 billion people, you have 8 people own half the wealth on the planet, you know that something has gone horribly wrong somewhere and we do need radical change. Whether it's reform, whether it's revolutionary, whether it's revolutionary, only time will tell. Okay, so what what things are we going to discuss today? The key word is discuss. Now, maybe, maybe the religious discrimination laws which the federal government is trying to pass through Parliament extraordinary law and we supposedly live in a secular state where there is a division between the state and the church or the state and the synagogue or the state and the mosque or the state and the temple but unfortunately we've seen over the last few decades how religion is trying to claim its birthright to control us from the moment of birth to the moment of we were extinguished 
and the moment our souls go who knows where, where they dominate the funeral services. So it's quite interesting to see a secular government in Australia attempt to introduce laws which allows people with particular religious beliefs the ability to discriminate against sections of the community who are involved in legal activity. That's the key. It's a little bit like in 2004 when Howard sent the Australian military into Aboriginal communities and Indigenous communities across the country in order to resolve an issue of their own making that they had to suspend the racial discrimination law in order for them to do so. And it's the same story 15 years later with these new religious uh, laws they are trying to pass. And it's quite fascinating when you hear them you know, crap on about Sharia law and how they're trying to introduce their own Christian Sharia laws, or whatever they call them. It's quite fascinating, really. And it isn't a good week, although we're coming to the end of the year, and the 25th of December marks, well, the historical birth of the historical Christ. I've been astounded. I mean, I've been on the planet a long time. I've been astounded at how commercialism, rampant commercialism, has basically buried, buried, possibly even cremated, the Christian story. Quite extraordinary. I think to a large degree, people of faith have only themselves to blame, especially in this country. And I was fascinated to listen to the Chief Justice, Justice Peter McClellan, who headed the Royal Commission, which Mr Abbott tried to derail time and time again, made sure it didn't ever appear, into institutional child abuse. And at a speech he gave yesterday, he made a point which I'd missed, and which I'm sure most of you had also missed. And he directed his vile, and obviously as a justice, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't really do this very often, at the Roman Catholic Church. Not only were 60% of the people who had been abused had been abused in Catholic institutions, <clears throat> more importantly, Mr McClellan Remember the Chief Justice of the Royal Commission on Institutional Abuse and I can imagine the stories he heard with his other assistant justices during that period the Commission went on which was over four years I think. And he felt that the main point 
was a failure of leadership. Not just in the Catholic Church, but other religious-based institutions. A failure of leadership, which was highlighted by the position the Catholic Church took in order to protect its institutions and its wealth, that many church leaders saw the rape of children by clergy as a moral issue, not a criminal issue. And they attempted to contain the issue by offering absolution to those responsible for those crimes in the confessional, while ostracising, marginalising, dehumanising the victims. And even now we have a number of religious institutions which refuse to cough up a few bucks to provide some financial recompense to their victims. And Mr. McClellan highlighted that this was about corruption within the church, where an institution with a history of over 2,000 years can actually dismiss decades of exploitation, sexual exploitation of children, as a moral issue. And let's not forget the Royal Commission found that what had occurred in this country over decades was a national failure. So it's a failure of all of us, not just the Roman Catholic Church and the other churches, but also the failure of the secular society. It was a failure so heinous it was difficult to comprehend. His exact words, the exact report. A failure so heinous it was difficult to comprehend. That brings me to my second point. Now, I notice the Victorian state government, in its wisdom, has now banned VCAT appeals to re the establishment of private schools anywhere in Victoria. Now, if you've got some type of uh, building going up near you, you do have a right to appeal to VCAT. But in legislation which has just been passed, or will just be passed, it will now be, there will be no avenue by which residents can appeal the establishment of a private school, and most private schools are religiously based, in their neck of the woods, even if they live next door to it. No right of appeal. Bang. Finished. They can do what they like. End of story. Extraordinary. And when you think of the billions of dollars which filter into the pockets of religious institutions, especially 
the Roman Catholic Church. Billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to provide services to the community from institutions which have such a patchy record regarding their activities, institutions which pay no tax or rates, institutions which demand, the Catholic Church demands the right to disseminate those funds as they see fit within their networks, whether it's an education network or a healthcare network, you know that something's very wrong in this country. Could you imagine the hue and cry that would have existed if an organisation like the Anarchist Media Institute had been involved in childhood sexual exploitation? Not only would each, each and every one of us be in prison, we wouldn't be receiving billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to provide services to the community. If you do go to Ballarat, which was the epicentre of what occurred, uh, which I was there last week on the 3rd of December for Eureka Day, it's extraordinary the number of ribbons which continue to flutter on the fences of churches in Ballarat to remind people of what occurred. It's an extraordinary situation where we are now seeing church-based organisations, religious-based organisations pushing the parliamentary uh, legislative agenda as well as continuing to receive billions of dollars of taxpayers' money to provide so-called services to the community. And nothing highlights this than the fiasco surrounding the provision of services to homeless people with a homeless industry makes much more money for people who provide services than actually go to the people who are homeless. Extraordinary situation. Extraordinary situation. But we do live in fascinating times in a long industry. And just to highlight, this is a worldwide problem. Currently in India, legislation is in Parliament, which, like in Israel, will give people Indian citizenships based on their religion. Now, people have come from Pakistan, Bangladesh and Afghanistan to India before 2015 who are not Muslims. If this bill goes through Parliament, which most likely it will, because the Hindu nationalists control what supposedly is a secular constitution in India, like a supposedly a secular constitution in Australia, that we will see Indian citizenship being given to people on the basis of their religious beliefs. And that certain religions are in and other religions are out. Extraordinary situation. So if you think religions had its day, as I used to think, think again. You've got the, you know, you've got the, um, the, the ignorance of fundamentalists 
of all religious variety, Muslim, Christian, Jewish, Hindu, and the list goes on and on, continuing continuing to demand that if we live in their bailiwick, that we obey their laws. We live in a secular state. 30%, over 30% of Australians have no religion, don't believe in God. So why is it legal? Why should it be legal for people to be able to practice mass discrimination, not individual discrimination, but mass discrimination because of some weird religious belief they may hold. I think next we'll see a coalition, if we haven't already, of uh, religious fundamentalists and climate change flat earthers and deniers. Let's get into that stage. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. My name's Joseph Scarum, hosting today's program. And if you think I've given an unfair analysis, I'm happy for you to give me a call. Okay? You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.com or pipsy.net. You can leave a message on 0439 395 489. And the list goes on and on. Now, I was interested to hear a figure today. And uh, there's been a change of leadership in Argentina because of ongoing, um, ongoing social dislocation. And I heard the Argentinian, the new Argentinian president, talk about the fact that one third of Argentinians live in poverty. And I'm thinking, excuse me, is he talking about Australia? One third of Australians who rely on social security benefits to, to survive live around the poverty line, below the poverty line if you, if you receive a new start allowance or just above poverty line if you, live a, if you receive a disability support pension or old age pension so we have the same issue in this country now we are a rich country we are a rich country irrespective of climate change irrespective of what's happening in rural Australia and regional Australia with climate change and with drought irrespective of that we are a rich country, and I say over and over again on this program, I've been saying for the last 40 years, that we should not be dealing with issues like poverty and homelessness. Child poverty especially, with over 700,000 children living below the poverty line. Just extraordinary. So why do we find ourselves in this situation? Is it because of a human failure? Is it a personal issue? And that's what we've been led to believe. We're led to believe on a day-to-day basis that everybody on New Start Allowance is somehow, you know, a loser. You know, they should do up their shoelaces and go out there and get a job. And if somebody's on a disability support pension, well, you know, they should get out there and get a job. This is the mentality that's drummed into us on a day-to-day basis by government, the corporate-owned media, and to a lesser extent the government guild at ABC. That somehow if you are on some type of 
government benefit. Somehow you're not quite a real Australian. You're not quite hunky-dory. You know, you're just not quite a citizen. You know, you're a leaner. You're not a lifter like those corporations that receive corporate welfare. So why do we find ourselves in this situation where over a third of people live live around the poverty line or below the poverty line? It's a third of Australians. Another, you know, another 40 or 50 percent have got debts up to their necks trying to pay their bills, and the lucky 8 to 10 percent, in inverted commas, they say they make their own luck, got enough disposable income to take account of all this country's investment-friendly uh, taxation laws, which make the poor pay tax and make tax paying, paying tax a kind of a voluntary effort for a richer individuals and corporations. And when you tie that into the erosions that have occurred in working people's rights, working people's wages, especially employees, over the last 20 to 30 years, while successive governments have been to just trying to destroy what's left of the trade union movement, and you look at all the stories of wage theft, which abound on social media and the legacy media, and the stories of legalised wage theft, where organisations and individuals are actually able to employ people and receive a government bounty for employing people and keep them on these low wages for years and not offer them a permanent job with decent wages. And you look at the rise and rise and rise and rise and rise of the demand of the gig economy, which is soaking up about 10% of people these days, where people are theoretically individual contractors, where they're working for peanuts, peanuts, and have no protections whatsoever including workers' compensation, you begin to realise there's something very wrong in a country as rich as Australia. Something very wrong. Where those who have wealth and those who exercise power continue to want more and more. And what we've seen during the last 40 years is a wholesale transformation of Australian attitudes. And this, to a large degree, has occurred almost... It has occurred silently, and most people actually haven't noticed it. And from a period when working people came together in order to improve their lots, to a period where being a member of a trade union movement or a trade union is a little bit akin to being a member of a criminal organisation in the eyes of the government and uh, large sections of the media, you begin to understand there's been this wholesale transformation in the attitudes of Australians. And that transformation has been directly related to the corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation and deregulation tsunami which has swept over this country and most of the rest of the world. And if you think neoliberalism is dead, 
if you think the desire to give away state-owned assets to the private sector is dead, and if you think the desire to allow corporations to trade however they like, with no regulation is dead, think again. Because the new area where this failed South American experiment is being introduced is in Africa. And Sudan is a classical example of how neoliberal attitudes are inculcated in a population and a people. Now, the Sudanese people have been through a social revolution, not just an economic revolution, but a social revolution in the last 12 months, which has paid some dividends. Although the military still holds the trump card in a provisional government, which to a large degree was uh, appointed by the military. So now they're talking about... Now, when the riots first started a year ago, they started when the military-led dictatorship attempted to remove state subsidies on basic items like oil and food. Twelve months later, when you've got a provisional government, what do you think the agenda has been? What do you think has been announced in Sudan in the last week? The fact that the provisional government, which is dominated by the military, will remove the oil subsidy, 100% of the oil subsidy by June next year, and remove 50% of the food subsidy that it provides to keep ordinary Sudanese alive, not dying from malnutrition, they're going to remove that. This is a war on the poor. And they're talking about getting capital from the Middle East and the corporatisation of the Sudanese economy, as if the corporatisation of the Sudanese economy is going to solve the economic difficulties they have, as if removing subsidies which are there to ensure people don't starve is going to change anything. So we are seeing this neoliberal cancer, and it is a cancer, spread from continent to continent, from South America to North America, from North America to Australia, Australia to Europe, where we are seeing rearguard actions from French workers who are protesting constantly about the state's efforts to remove what rights and liberties and economic uh, security has been structured into the system because it has a drag on corporate profits. Whether it's the yellow shirts in Paris, whether it's been what's happening in South America, what's happening to a lesser degree in Hong Kong, you begin to understand that neoliberalism is not dead. Although the experiment has failed, although we see the end products, and the end products is the division of society into four groups, 
the 1% who get richer and richer, who own the means for production, distribution, exchange and communication, and use government, whether it's dictatorial or a parliamentary system, like in Australia, you know, push government to pass legislation to continue to increase their wealth and power, whether it's the emerging investment class, and you can be any type of worker, you can be a blue-collar worker, white-collar worker, professional, whatever, but if you've got enough money at the end of the day to take advantage of Australia's investment-friendly laws, you become part of the investment class. And your attitudes change. That's what I meant. Attitudes change. Or if you're part of the, you know, the working class, people who work in order to pay their bills and have a little bit left over at the end of the day, or the 30% of Australians who rely on Social Security benefits to survive, Neoliberalism, which is a fancy word, which incorporates the four horsemen of the apocalypse, corporatisation, globalisation, privatisation, deregulation, and I'll go through them in simple English in a minute, has been a total failure for 90% of the world's population. So what is deregulation? Over the years, people involved in workplace disputes, protest, reform movements and regulations have been put in to protect them. That's what the gig economy is all about. It's about ignoring these regulations which which protect the rights of workers, to strip them of any rights they have, to treat them as on-demand, disposable pieces of garbage hire and fire at will pay them what you like ignore the regulations and governments rush to the bottom trying to remove these regulations these regulations were put in to protect us from the marauding buccaneers the marauding corporate buccaneers then you've got privatisation. That, that, this, this is an extraordinary thing, privatisation. It's an extraordinary thing. And if you think it's your ABC, think again. It's not your bloody ABC. It wasn't your Commonwealth Bank. It wasn't your uh, telecom. It's not your Australia Post. It wasn't your Medibank Private. All these things belong to the government of the day. The only way the Australian people could actually own these assets would have been if their ownership had been incorporated in the Australian Constitution, and they're not. And the government of the day can sell any asset it likes at any time, and it continues to sell any assets. And we are now reaping the benefits, in inverted commas, of wholesale privatisation, fire sales, fire sales, of state-owned institutions to private enterprise whose responsibility is not to provide a service to the community, whether it's gas, electricity, water, but whose major responsibility is to create a profit for their major shareholders, irrespective of the damage to individuals, to the state, to the economy. And we see this over and over again in the privatisation now, Look, I must be, I must be the most stupid, well, second most stupid person in the world after Mr. Morrison, alright? 
I must be the second most stupid person in the world. The state government, the Labor state government in Victoria, which loves privatisation, privatised the ports about four years ago to raise some money to get rid of a few level crossings, right? And what happened as soon as the ports were privatised? Charges went up 2,000%. While the ports were owned by the state government, it provided a service to the community. Once it went into the hands of a private corporation, that private corporation's responsibility is not to the community, it's to their major shareholders. So they increased their prices by 2,000%, which means the prices of goods go up in this country. So what did the Labor government do? It held an inquiry, which we're still waiting for the report. It held an inquiry. Now, I must be such a stupid, ignorant, idiotic person. Why would you hold an inquiry? Obviously, when you privatise a state-owned asset, you make it a private facility, right? When you make it a private facility, the responsibility of a corporation is not to provide services. It's to make profits, irrespective of the national cost, the environmental cost, the social cost, the cultural cost, the human costs. Extraordinary. I'll give you another example. Now, we've seen the disaster which unfolded on White Island in New Zealand in, New Zealand in the last 48 hours. We've seen the human suffering and we see the number of people who are seriously ill, burnt and dead as a result of what occurred on that island. Now, everybody talks about the volcano, but let's not forget that White Island in New Zealand, which has been a tourist destination for many decades, is not owned by the New Zealand government. It is not a national park. It is owned by a family. It is owned by private individuals, owned by a company. And obviously, as the level of danger increased from level one to level two on the island, as far as volcanic activity is concerned, maybe if it had been in the control of New Zealand parks and forests and whatever, lands and forests, not a private corporate, not a private corporate, not a private company. Maybe the visitation of tourists on that island would have ceased for a few days until the volcanic activity decreased. And while everybody's talking about the heroism, and there was a lot of heroism involved, it wasn't for people coming to the island, privately owned helicopters, four helicopters. Westpac helicopter, if they didn't come and boats turned back, the death toll would have been much more significant. But the central question is this, and this is what privatisation is all about. This is an island which is owned privately. Obviously, they lease out the right to companies to take tourists to the island and they make a buck out of that. Simple. Now, if this island had been in the control of state authorities, the New Zealand government, or a local government, maybe, just maybe, 
the danger levels, as they rose from level 1 to level 2, would have been factored into the reasons whether they would actually bring tourists to that island. Would the private charter companies, which pay to, for that privilege, would actually bring tourists to the island? And maybe we wouldn't have the death toll we have now. So this is, an, this is a classical example of what happens with privatisation. A classical example. Where the underlying essence of a private corporation, its heart and soul, its blood, its bones, its, its muscles, is based on the concept of creating ever-increasing profits. And if you don't create ever-increasing profits whether you're privately owned or you're listed on the stock market, shareholders punish you. So you cut corners. And that's what privatisation is about. We see it with the electricity system in this country. We see it with water. We have water wars currently where the federal government is saying, well, we need to cut the environmental flows in order to protect the private farmers in the story pushing to in that direction pushing and pushing in that direction now if water was owned by the state which theoretically is the community as a whole well then maybe we'd be singing a different tune so at every level as far as privatization is concerned we are seeing we are seeing the fruits of privatisation. We planted the seed, it's growing, and the fruit doesn't taste very nice at all. Increase in prices for basic commodities. No more cross-subsidisation between rural areas, regional areas and major urban centres. Poor services to regional Australia. Cuts to the Australian Broadcasting Corporation means they can't actually do the job they're supposed to do under their own constitution. And the list goes on and on. And then you compound the matter by destroying, and this is where the federal government is brilliant, the public service, which is theoretically there to provide services to the public on behalf of the state because we pay taxation to the state which supposedly manages that money on our behalf by providing us with services. So what does the state do? It outsources its responsibility to private corporations, many religious-based if if it, when it outsources services uh, to provide uh, uh, benefits to people, on, to provide services to people on Social Security benefits, where 40 cents of the, in every dollar of taxpayers' dollar, which is given to a private organisation to provide a service the state should be providing, is lost in profits to that corporation or administration costs. 40 cents in every dollar. So what you do is you continue to whittle down the public service. And last week we saw the creation of a few more super, super in inverted commas, public service divisions, which means that power becomes centralised in the hands of the government of the day. And if it's at the federal level, where is power centralised? It is centralised in the inner cabinet. Well, you've got five or six of them sitting around 
making decisions and then all their yes men and women in the party go, yes, 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 without even reading the legislation. Can't even be bothered reading the legislation. The party told me to vote. I put up my hands. Why don't we get rid of half of them and put up some puppets? I'm sure Big Bird would come back. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. So we are not talking about individual issues. On every social indicator, we've never had a more anxious population. We are popping so many pills for anxiety that the fish (laughs) are being poisoned. It's just amazing, isn't it, when you think about it. All you've got to do is analyse sewage effluent and you can actually see how many drugs, both legal, inverted commas, and illegal, people are taking in order to cope with everyday reality. And on every day we are told, it's your problem. It's a personal issue. It's the way you were brought up. Now, obviously, that is relevant in certain cases. But not relevant as a population as a whole. It's quite extraordinary. It's an extraordinary situation we find ourselves in in 2019 as we approach 2020. Well, we've never had so many gadgets and so many goodies, but find ourselves in such a difficult situation personally where we are told ad nauseum that it is your fault. It is your problem. It's your upbringing's problem. It's your parents' problem. You know, it's always an individual issue and we will find an individual solution for you, whether it's a tablet, whether it's CBT, you know, cognitive behaviour therapy, whether it's this or that. We will teach you how to cope. And the reality is, it's the way our society is structured which is making us sick and anxious as a community. It's affecting our children. It affects us. It affects everybody, most people in the community. Because, see, you see, 90% of Australians living on a resource-rich continent, which is and the resources are given away at peppercorn rents, you know, to private corporations, 90% of us are either on Social Security benefits or debt up to our necks, which we'll never pay off until the day we die. Quite extraordinary. And we accept this as, that's the price of existence, that's the price of living and, you know, the new world, Australia. Extraordinary situation we find ourselves in. And while we continue to think it's a personal issue, it's a, it's a local problem, It's not an institutional problem. It's not a structural problem. It's not a problem which is based on the concept that we live in a society where maximising profits, irrespective of the human, social, environmental, cultural costs, is our mantra. We will continue to get worse. Why don't, why can't, why don't you think that governments can actually deal with the issue of climate change, climate emergency. Why? Is it because the science is wrong? There's a few people think it's wrong. But they're a minority of 0.01%. 
or is it because the structural adjustments that need to be made in order to deal with that issue are due to the fact that it will impinge on the profits of major corporations who determine the parliamentary agenda. When a Prime Minister walks into Parliament with a lump of coal, you know where his allegiances reside. Because Mr Morrison, as I said last week, is a man who's actually not able to be Prime Minister. He is sinking. He thinks that if he centralises power into his hands that he'll be able to hoodwink Australians for another three or four or five or six or ten years. That he is the great healer. That somehow that if you ignore a problem long enough, it will go away. And that if you create straw men and women for people to poke their daggers at, that somehow they won't notice the fire engulfing them. This is a government which thrives. The federal government is a government which thrives on creating division. It thrives on pitting Australian against Australian. It thrives on dehumanising, marginalising, ostracising people on social security benefits. It thrives on pitting community against community, pitting refugees and asylum seekers against the rest of Australians, pitting migrants against old migrants against new migrants. It is a government which thrives on division. It is a government which ignores reality, not at its peril, because at the end of the day it doesn't matter what decisions are made by the current parliamentary bunch They will continue to receive their generous superannuation allowances. They will continue to receive their generous allowances once they retire, irrespective of the damage they've inflicted on the community. So you get men like Mr Morrison with an advertising background who think that if you've got enough enough smoke and mirrors and you put enough sequence and fairy lights on the animal, that people won't notice the raging fires behind it. And you think that if you bunker down and wait, that somehow the environment, somehow the mess which has been created by humans on this planet will wither away and disappear. It won't. It will continue to get worse. And while we, as a people continue to be worried about our franking credits and that's the beauty, that's the change in philosophy that's occurred in Australia where we've all been made into investors by a superannuation system which relies on investing in the current system to ensure that we have a comfortable retirement if we all, you know, we've all become you know, little investors and we're having the and we've created a mentality, an investor mentality. And you know that you've lost the battle when you're sitting in some nondescript cafe 
in the middle of nowhere like I was a few months ago and you hear two blokes in, you know, busy uh, vests talk about their superannuation, their financial advisors and and the list goes on and on, you know the battle has been lost in terms of the mentality that's been created in the community where we only think of ourselves. We don't see that we have a collectively, we can live much better than as individuals pitted against individuals for all eternity. That the collective solutions are much more effective than individual solutions as far as our own personal security is concerned. Because if you rely on an individual solution, what happens if there's a huge downturn in the stock market? What happens if the property market drops? And as we've seen now with interest rates, where you get no return if you're a, you know, a, a superannuant. So if there's a collective response, much more effective much more stable, much more secure than individuals attempting, you know, to eke out an existence. And that's what the gig economy is about. It's about turning collective action into individual action, making us all individually jump up and down at the behest of our masters and mistresses because we need a buck to pay the bills. Simple. And these are structural issues. And obviously, while we continue to worry about our franking credits and about our investment properties and about the mortgage and the rents and the fact that, you know, religious tolerance and the list goes on and on and on and we continue to pay the same actors constantly, what do you think? What do you think will happen? More of the same. It's time for radical change, radical solutions. We need institutional change. And if you are interested in that idea, I encourage you to join Public Interest Before Corporate Interest. Go to pipsy.net. Have a look at their website. If you like it, download the application form. Join today. Become part of a growing movement. It's not interested in dividing us on the basis of race, religion, gender sexual preference but is interested in the basis of uniting us against the threats that we face the majority of people in this country face threats that most people somehow think is related to somebody else not to the institutional structures that we have allowed to be created now I'd like to thank all those people who came to the West Papuan Rent Collective do on Sunday it was exceptionally successful uh, the filmmaker David Documentary filmmaker David Bradbury um, showed a new one of his uh, documentaries. Um, it was a very successful evening. If you do want to join the West Parkland Rent Collective, you can always ring me on 0439 395 489 and I'll send you the necessary material. It's a dollar a day, $365 this year, 366 next year. It's a leap year, a dollar a day. I keep the West Parkland independence struggle alive. Also, I'd like to thank all those people who came to the uh, Eureka uh, celebrations on the 3rd of December. Very successful celebrations. A lot of people there. It was quite interesting. Hopefully we'll get many more next year because the concepts of the Eureka Rebellion are as relevant today as they are, as they were in 1854, years ago. Internationalism, direct democracy, direct action and solidarity. 
That's what's kept people going for centuries and will continue to keep us going while the planet exists. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio stations. A few websites, anarchistmedia.org, tanamall.org. Now, Tanaminawaya Mall Bohina commemoration will be held on the 20th of January next year, which I think is a, a Monday at midday. So keep your eyes and ears open about that and go to the Pipsy website, pibci.net. You go to my YouTube channel, Public Interest. Well, it's not mine, but Public Interest before Corporate Interest. Uh, I won't be doing it. I'll be doing one more YouTube presentation for the end of the year, usually the yearly wrap-up. The Anarchist World this week will continue to be broadcast during the festive season, including Christmas Day and New Year's Day. So keep your ears and eyes open. And remember, a brand new year in 2020, you too can be involved in the struggle to create that new world in your hearts. Now, some Facebook pages you can go to. Joseph Toscano, Toscano for the public. Uh, what else? Public housing, everybody's business. Defend and extend public housing. The list goes on and on. There's lots of things to do. Uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you'll become involved, especially in the public housing struggle, because it's important that we conduct our own struggles. It's important that we continue to resist, because once you acquiesce, once you lose hope, uh, it's more of the same. And that's the key. Do you want more of the same in 2020? Or do you want to create a society which is based on egalitarian principles? Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. And remember... There's a whole list of podcasts out there. Anarchist World this week will be continuing to be broadcasting across the festive season, including Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Could you imagine that? Listening to the Anarchist World this week on those days. You could tell the family you've got more important things to do than going to their little barbecue. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. If you want to go to the family barbecue, remember... The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week, next week on your local community radio station. Go to the Facebook page. Become my friend. I need friends at my age. I need people to come to my funeral. So go to my Facebook page, Joseph Toscana. Listen in the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World this week. Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse, 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.